Hello, and welcome to the Related to Geeks podcast, the podcast about a geeky family. This is episode 15, original air date, March 17, 2016. My name's Megan, I am the youngest of the siblings, as well as your host, and tonight with us is my sister Sarah. Hello. And our dad, Harry Larry. Multiples of five, three times five equals 15. That is a fun fact from Mr. Harry Larry. Um, Kira's not going to be with us tonight. He is down with a bad back, so we're just going to proceed without him. We're going to start with uh, what's caused us to geek out lately, then we're going to go into a hopefully fairly short topic because we're a little behind schedule, and then wrap things up with our picks of the week. So starting off with Sarah. Sarah, what has caused you to geek out lately? I've been playing a whole lot of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Actually, I've been judging a whole lot of Dungeon Crawl Classics, and it has been a blast. I just um, finished my fourth game um, at the the new game store this past weekend, um, or, or fourth session, I should say, um, with, with some of the same people, but every week there's always one or two new people. This week I had three new people, and two people that hadn't been there in a while that showed up, and... Um, a lot of people that normally come that didn't show up, so it all worked out. Um, but uh, we were we were having a good old time, and, and it, it attracted people from across the room, which was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> it was it, our table was definitely laughing a little too loud at times. Um, but uh, it, it's it's amazing what a bunch of level zeros with their their occupation tools can come up with to solve a problem. It's pretty fun. So how many how many did they lose in in your most recent game? Okay, in my most recent game, and this is this is really kind of funny because the last two sessions I had zero deaths, <laughs> and we're still level zero. We're still in funnels, whatever. And I tried really hard, <laughs> and I got some people down that they just almost you know did you know, but they were they were you know hanging on by one hit point or whatever. It was it was I guess I guess none of the people attacked that only had one hit point. So, um, or got attacked that only had one hit point. Um, but this last one, I had eight or nine deaths out of the 21 characters that played throughout the night. So, <laughs> actually, I take that back out of the 24 characters that played throughout the night. Because um, what I do is I hand them a sheet with four character, four characters on it. And then immediately have people cross one out. Because, number one, it just gives that whole impression that nothing is permanent when mm-hmm. you're level zero. And number two, running eight people with three characters each or seven people with three characters each is a whole lot easier than running seven or seven people with, with four characters each um, because that's a lot of people. Yeah. That's a lot of characters. It also, and, it also still gives them a little something to do in the character setup process where they get to take some yeah. time to really examine each character and decide which one they don't want to play. Whereas they might just right. glance had they not had that decision. But one of the, the one of the new guys that sat down at the table, I he lost all three of his characters in the first like ten minutes of gaming. Well, there you go. So I was like, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> so you know, luckily there's there's lots of ways you can bring in new characters usually in a funnel if somebody's in desperate need. Um, and and he was. I mean, you know, that's not that's not really fun, and that's not usually what happens. But but it, it sure did to him. Liz is like he got a really good idea of the game right away. <laughs> so <laughs> he understood the funnel. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, unfortunately, he understood it a little too well. So, he, he, um, but he hung around and he got a new character sheet. He waited the five minutes or so it, it took for us to get to a point where I felt like it was a good place to, to, to give him a new sheet of characters. So it worked. But yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And, um, I'll be, I'll be continuing it. I, I've, I've found a, um, a kind of a setting that, that has a whole bunch of, of, introductory modules so I'll be able to bring people in and out and have maybe some level ones with level zeros if the, if that need arises as we go forward and um, so, so when you say judging does that mean DMing it does it does it's okay. an old school term and that you know Dungeon Crawl Classics is an old school revival kind of game so yeah, so they yeah, decided just, to go with judge yeah just uh, when you said judging I thought maybe you were judging a competition, but really, you're DMing the... Yeah, yeah okay. really, it's just a, it's another word for Game Master or Dungeon Master. Yeah. And it's just, it's the term that, that Dungeon Crawl Classics uses for that. You judge whether they are fit to live or die. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I'm excited, because we're getting close, I think, that, you know, probably after the next session, I'll actually have some level ones. Which is exciting because it'll be new territory for me. <laughs> I have run a lot yeah. of funnels and I have I have not done anything beyond that. And when they run level ones, are they then down to one character, or can they still have more than one? I, I haven't decided yet. I think if I still have, if I have eight people at the table, it's going to be one character. If I end up only having four at that point, if they've got two survivors, I'll probably let them run both survivors. It's just going to depend on our, on my numbers at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've had between, at every one of these games I've done, I've had between five and eight people yeah. at the table. You've had good turnouts for those, for sure. Yeah. It's really... That's awesome. Yeah. That's really pushing it for a game, though, for a, any role yeah, game. Yeah, it's not. I mean, with Funnel, there's so much silliness and so much craziness, and you can just add to it to make it more difficult mm-hmm. or, or take away to make it less difficult so so with that it's okay i don't know that i would want to to do when you're actually really into the game and really doing your class stuff and all of that and you're having to look up more stuff if i would want to have that big of a group but i don't know because i haven't tried it i know a lot of people say that they feel more comfortable with larger numbers in this game than other rpgs especially dungeons and dragons so it, it may be okay, and I I am going to to let it happen for as long as I can. Oh yeah, I mean and, if they're going to show up, you're going to let them play. Yeah, yeah, and make it an easy drop in, drop out kind of thing because not everybody can be there. Every, my my schedule's sporadic, <laughs> so that's going to make it harder for other people to plan. And I understand that, so I want to make it as easy easy for people to drop in and drop out as need be. Cool. Well, maybe I'll get to drop in sometime when it's not a module I already played, and I'm super tired. Of yeah, this yeah, I really think we should only have have one more one more session with this one, <laughs> and um, and then. <laughs> but you never know. I mean, the last one. The reason we really didn't have any character deaths the last one is because they just decided that they weren't really going to do anything in the 
in the area we were in and decided to go back to town. Yeah, they role-played. They role-played. They were like, hey, we're a bunch of level zeros. Let's go back to town where it's safe. (laughs) We don't do this right now. So they all went and and talked to the, I mean, and they didn't just go back to where they started from. They went back to the city they were all from. So It's quite the journey. They're like, nope, not yet. So, you know, we had one encounter and then they and then they went to town and then I was like, Okay, well it's ten o'clock and I have a two hour drive, so I'll see you next week. That was an exciting game right there. <laughs> but they had fun and the, you know, and there was still character I mean, you know oh, yeah. even though everybody's playing these characters that they're not really sure they're going to even be able to keep but they were all still doing character development and deciding who these people were which is really cool i mean it's kind of cool to watch them do character development for three different characters Mm-hmm. i just get confused but anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right well that sounds like a lot of fun i've I, I've just played it here and there, and I have some problems with the system, but I really haven't gotten into it, the system, enough to really know if those problems have any weight behind them or if that's just my doubts going into it. But we probably, we probably, it's been brought up enough times, may need to do a, a topic on that in the future when we all have a little bit more experience with DCC in general. Yeah, because all, all four of us have played mm-hmm. at least a little bit. All right. Well, Dad, what, what's caused you to geek out? Well, as you know, I'm back in school, and I'm taking composition lessons. And since our composition studio, which is another word for uh, like seminar class, is so small, um, Dr. Taki is assigning us days to present for a full hour instead of just taking a little bit of time to present one song. And so my presentation was on the math muse, and I went through a little bit of my history uh, with algorithmic composition, and then I went through my maturation into um, using simpler math that uh, where um, the math is just a kind of a restriction on the composer, and then the composer creates within that system or that set of restrictions. Um, and it's a way of breaking uh, composer out of writing the same phrases and the same phrasing or whatever that he hears in his head you know obviously you know you write a song and you like it your next song you want you like that last one you're going to write one's kind of the same you know what i'm saying but one thing composers try to do is to um create something that's enough different that it's recognizably different um but not so different that it's unlistenable so i'm using um some simple mathematics, uh, prime factors, things like that, to uh, uh, give me some kind of patterns on my rhythms or my melodies, and then I work with that. The math muse. So was that was that why you started with with random math facts? Yes. No. Because it's fifteen. Episode fifteen, and it's uh, naturally. Yeah, but you're so you're so inspired by math that you just you're you're using it everywhere. (laughs) I am, and everybody does. Not everybody knows that they do it, but everybody uses math everywhere all the time. Yeah, and a lot of people use math incorrectly all the time as well. (laughs) Oh goodness. 
I, this is just totally a silly thing, but I'm going to throw it out there. I was playing Dicecapades the other day, and it was one of those where you roll a die, and however much you got on the die, you had to name a state with that many letters. And as you know, the listeners at home know, we've established that we live in Arkansas, and it was eight letters, and the first word I tried to spell in my head was Arkansas, and somehow I convinced myself that Arkansas had nine letters, and then just continued on through all the other states, <laughs> and then somebody just, after I finished, said, why didn't you say Arkansas? I was like, it has nine letters. I was just so convinced. <laughs> <laughs> oh... <laughs> Uh, so I could barely count Excellent. sometimes. So math. <laughs> actually, the word Arkansas would be great on a fifteen puzzle that was actually an eight puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Megan, what's caused you to geek out lately? <laughs> You're just gonna ask yourself the question now. Huh? Math, it's got to be math, right, Megan? <laughs> well, actually, if I were to be honest, the the longest for the majority of the time between this podcast and last, it has been board games. But I talked a lot about board games last time, and while I still love board games, and I've got all these different gaming groups that I'm playing games with, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of games are gonna be going on this week as well, because I have several game nights already planned. Um, just recently, like in the last... It was yesterday, actually. Yesterday! <laughs> I realized that I was in a position that, within the next week, I would have a pretty good amount saved up for a new gaming PC, which is something I've been saving up for a while. And so I've been doing a whole lot of research trying to figure out you know, what I want to buy, and I'm kind of sad that Kier is not on this episode because he probably would have some advice, or I emailed him, but he hasn't gotten back to me for obvious reasons. Um, but I've been watching some videos and, and reading reviews and doing a lot of different uh, plug-and-play type things on PC Parts Picker and, and Newegg and trying to figure out what's going to work together, and I've got that sweet spot of... of $700 that I'm trying to work with and that's really a nice sweet spot for a, a good gaming machine that will do a lot at 1080p um, but doesn't require like a lot of extra like cooling systems or things to handle overclocking and things like that which I'm not really that invested in I just want a better machine than I have and so I mean right now I'm sitting here and I really just want to order these parts but I'm making myself wait a little bit longer and do some more research because I'd rather take the time and be really happy with what I get than to just buy something right away. But it's something I've been saving up for a while, and I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. <laughs> I have to say that you get the prize for the geekiest geek out. <laughs> because nothing nothing could be geekier than building your own game computer. <laughs> uh, I called Dad earlier, and I started reading him all these parts, and Dad was just like, these, this means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how well, I knew. <laughs> I, it meant something, but not enough. Um, my problem is this. I only need systems that are powerful enough to do HD video editing and math simulations and uh, composition and stuff like that. 
It doesn't take anything like the power that a 10-year-old kid needs on his game computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because Kier just gave us a computer, <laughs> and it's actually, I think, with with a little bit of of effort, and and by a little bit, I mean really not much. I think it's going to be comparable to the system we already have, which is which is old, I will admit, but um, it, it lets me do what I need to do, and it may be slow, but it gets me there. And if we have two computers that will do that, then you know I can still be on the computer while Liz is you know, typing something up or doing research or playing a game or what have you. So, day for new computers. Yeah. All right. I just hit the door. You hit the door? What did the door ever <laughs> did do to you? Did you not hear that clank? There the, was like a... <laughs> what did the door ever do to you? Oh, goodness. Just an abusive person. And on that <laughs> note... <laughs> uh, we're going to take... Her, ta- her table was laughing, so she hit the door. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna go to we're gonna go to break. <laughs> we're gonna come back with some funnier jokes. We're not. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're listening to the Related to Geeks podcast, the podcast about a geeky family. Find more episodes at our website, relatedtogeeks.com. Now here's our topic of the week. Games as educational tools. All right, everybody, welcome back. Our topic of the week is board games as educational tools. Now, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we love board games, and we also grew up in a household that uh, really had uh, alternative methods of educating children. We were homeschooled. We had a very self-motivated motivated education process Sarah's homeschooling her uh, child and we're just we just kind of think outside of the box in a lot of ways and so for that we're gonna go to board game boxes and open those up and pull that stuff outside of the box see I'm connecting all this stuff it's really it's really brilliant when you think about it this is this is the better jokes I had promised you earlier I promise um, <laughs> but anyway I don't care. Uh, 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 um, but we're gonna we're gonna just talk about board games uh, as edu- educational tools and maybe some ways that you hadn't thought about them before. So uh, Sarah kind of came up with this topic uh, maybe perhaps five minutes before we started recording this episode, but she said that she 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 was inspired to talk about this. So I'm gonna let her start us off, and we'll just jump in as we feel like it. I'm going to start by saying that there are lots of games out there that are educational games. They are marketed as educational games. Some of them are really good for what they do. Those are not probably the games I'm going to talk about because they're pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, truly, a game does not even really have to have an educational bent to be educational. Um, like, I think anything that teaches patience and critical thinking and taking turns, working together, working, you know, working out a puzzle, whatever that happens to be, is educational. Um, And then there are lots of games that aren't necessarily marketed as an educational game, but definitely have educational factors. Um, And and I think I've touched on some of these, Animal Upon Animal, we can talk about colors and different animals, and 
you know, there's even a little bit of of chance that you could use, you know, as a teaching tool to, you know, make the sound of the animal or whatever. And that's a very, very fun little preschool dexterity game that it's just about rolling a die and doing what the die says and stacking animals and hoping they don't fall. They're just cute little wooden animals. Um, and, and, and that's meant to be educational, but it's not what you think of as an educational game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a preschool game. It's 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 kind of like what you would think of as Candyland, where you know, Candyland is all about colors, and moving to the next color or or the next two of that color, and that's that's all it is. And 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 that's not really what I would call an educational game, but it's definitely there to teach colors. So it, it is an educational game. But it's like when when I think of what people call educational games, they're games that are done by educational publishing companies and and that's really not something i have a lot of actual background with so like i said i'm probably gonna steer pretty far away from those and and just go on the ones that have educational slants done Mm -hmm. by major game publishers and i think it's fair to say that there's a difference between educational games and then games that expect you to have uh some sort of knowledge prior to playing the game there are games that you can learn stuff while you're playing it and then there's also games that you know trivia games are probably the biggest cases that you might learn a thing or two but truth is it's really just based on knowledge that you already have before you go on the game there's no yeah there's no learning process during the game other than oh well that's a random fact that i didn't know before that i will forget very quickly after this game <laughs> at least yeah. or you might remember no, it forever no, me, but... me i'll forget but <laughs> that was an example you. of me. <laughs> um, um, but going back onto the uh, uh, concept of a dexterity game, and you're talking about uh, animals on animals, which is a, a, a stacking game with little wooden animals. Um, there is something to be said about just doing things that focus on hand-eye coordination and, and fine motor skills. That is so important, and especially preschools take a lot of time to emphasize the importance of that. And it's not necessarily something that a lot of parents think about. It's just the idea of, of taking time to, to, to learn how to use your body effectively and to learn as much about your child early on as possible to make sure that they uh, have that coordination down because there's a lot of people out there that trip over their own feet all the time that didn't have that growing up, I guess. But... I mean, and not to get too much into this, but I think that's a good argument for for video games, too, is the hand-eye coordination that come with that. But there's a lot of board games. Jenga, um, Cat Tower was one we mentioned recently that I played over the weekend, just stacking games and and almost like, you know, anxiety-ridden games, but... Rhino Hero is another one. It's about the same that does animal upon animal. They're just... And it's pretty... Yeah, they're just well. stacking and, silly games that nobody puts a lot of weight to it, but there is there is an educational purpose for that as well. The dexterity games really do have something that, that schools put a lot of time and effort into to working with, you know, young children with, and that's why that those games exist too. And they're fun. I mean, every you know, when you're doing a stacking game and you're trying not to knock down the tower and you're watching it start to teeter as it gets higher and higher, it's there's a certain amount of fun to mm-hmm. that. That, that. <laughs> you, you wait with bated anticipation to see if that next thing's gonna actually and you, you find yourself cheering for somebody even I mean even though it, they're always competitive games 
you find yourself cheering for somebody who's able to stack it higher because they really shouldn't be able or, to. Or if you're cheer, you're just like, you know, fur your brow and be like, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was just going to say, Dad, Dad said he had some, some anecdotes on this topic and he's been fairly silent, so I'm curious. Well, this isn't one of the anecdotes, but um, if it's a game that's fun to play, then there's some kind of strategy involved. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, you know what I'm saying? Even Tic-Tac-Toe has a strategy, you know, and it, it, it wears out on being fun to play pretty quick. Um, but uh, if it's a game and it's fun to play, there's strategy involved. And if there's strategy involved, then it's educational. And even games that aren't fun to play, um, that have no strategy, um, like, for instance, shoots and ladders, for little kids, it's a great educational game because it teaches them to count, it teaches them to take turns, teaches them to spin the spinner, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it's really, uh, to me, games are essentially educational. If you were not learning from playing that game, you would probably not be playing it. You would probably not find it fun. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I mean, Liz and I played the heck out of Candyland and Shoots and Ladders when she was little. Um, you know, from the point she was about two, we would play those games more than I wanted to. I will say yeah. that. But, but you know, but the, the reward for that is not only did she learn colors and account and all of that, but now I have a almost 15-year-old child that can, can really play deep strategy games against people who play deep strategy games and, and be on even keel. With with most of them, I mean, there's always going to be that person that's really good at them that that you know has a little bit of upper hand in strategy games. And, and but she's she's definitely better than me at the games that I most enjoy playing. And and you know it gives me something to work toward. And and to me that's the payoff is that now at the age she is now I have got a constant gaming partner. Mm -hmm. So not only was she learning to count and tell colors. But she was learning how to play games. Yes. Yeah. She she knew, she learned, you know, she took turns. She learned that sometimes she won and sometimes she lost. You know, it was just a, yeah. it was just an everyday experience. And, and that's the thing with, with Candyland and Shoots and Ladders. And this is one of the things that I think is genius about them because there's really not any strategy. The kid's going to win as much as the adult is. Uh -huh. Whereas any sort of strategy to it the adult's gonna win every time there's no natural winning in that if, if a kid wins it's because an adult usually would let them win and you know you don't have to do that with shoots and ladders in candy land they're gonna win about 50 percent of the time if it's two Except people playing chess. with chess <laughs> it's usually the better player that wins even if they're younger well okay but I'm talking about playing with a two- or three-year-old. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, if yeah. I pulled they're out... They're not to the age of four play. where they're playing chess masters, Dad. You have to wait till you're four I, before you can start playing chess masters. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at, at that age that she was playing Candy Land and Shoots and Ladders, even a game like Sorry, which is really not heavy strategy by any means uh -huh. if i would have pulled that out she could have counted she could have moved the pieces she probably could have understood that but she wouldn't have made the right decisions and 
and and I would have beat her every time. Well, and I think um, the the important thing, and I think probably the most important thing that board games teach you, and you touched on this a little bit before uh, you talked about the random nature of some of those uh, younger age group board games, but I think the most important thing that surrounds the culture of board games that are by in nature competitive, but at the end of the game, people find the experience enjoyable whether they win or lose. Now, you know, there are those sore losers, but I feel like the culture around board games promotes a a, a, a positive, uh, you know, you, you did well whether you won or, or, or lose. There's not, there's not sore losers and sore winners in the way that there are in a lot of other competitive outlets. I mean... You look at uh, competitive video games, there's a lot of sore winners and a lot of sore losers. You look at sports, it gets to where there's rivalries that are really deep and and scary, really. But uh, board games, I think, really create an environment. And if you raise your kids in it right, teach them that it's okay to just play as best you can. And sometimes, you know luck or or wasn't on your side or the other person's just a more skilled player or more familiar with the game or whatever but i think that that educational um tool in itself the 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 skill of being a graceful loser is something that more and more people have to learn yeah i got called a mean mom a lot of times because i didn't just automatically let liz win every day <laughs> and i'm like you know well <laughs> i mean number one uh-oh <laughs> No. Was that a cat? That <laughs> yeah, was a cat. <laughs> ah, it's the perils of being out in the living room. Um, but <laughs> normally, normally I'm recorded in, in in a bedroom and not the living room. But <laughs> now you're with the cats. <laughs> ah, now I'm with the cats. Normally you just hear them meow through the door. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 a yeah, terrible I mom, mean, not letting your kid win. Yes, <laughs> that's it right there. I mean, I I definitely would encourage her and help her mm-hmm. when when I saw that there was something that maybe, you know, when she was really thinking about it and and you could tell that there was like this puzzle, I'd be like, well, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. So I would help her, but I didn't, I didn't play a lesser game. Mm-hmm. I helped her play a better game. I guess that's that's what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. Well, and there's there's definitely more to board games than just teaching a kid the rules. You also have to teach the kid the strategy. And that's something that, over time, they'll understand more and more to where, at age 15, they'll be able to sit down and play complex strategy games. Um, or younger. Or younger. I mean, not, not that, I mean, Settlers of Catan, we, we've talked about it before, or Catan now, sorry. It's, um, you know, it's a pretty, pretty common introductory game. For people mm-hmm. um and and we got it when liz was about seven or eight and the first time we played it she just you know she beat Devin and myself i mean it was just a thing it was and the same thing a couple of years later with puerto rico which is not a light strategy game it's it's there's very little luck in that game and boy she sat there and she solved the puzzles and the problems and tried to figure out what the best moves were for herself was and she beat us because she's a pretty good strategic thinker mm-hmm. even at, at that young of an age whereas and i really think that that's just because we have played board games with her since she was 
you know, since she started walking almost. To me, that's <laughs> that's rewarding. I mean, it, it um, yeah, and I, you know, to see that that critical thinking happening at at that age with that complex of a game, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing to watch that. To watch those wheels spinning. And and truthfully, you want your your kids to to get to that point where they can they can beat you, not because you let them win or because you weren't trying, but because they they understand the mechanics and they've spent enough time with it to where they know how to play. I mean, just like with anything else, you're trying to you're trying to make your children a better person than who you are, you know, in in every way that you can. And so you should celebrate those successes. I can get the word out. This is why I want to celebrate the success of AlphaGo. Our child, the human race's child, AlphaGo, has done the impossible. In the Google DeepMind Challenge match, won three straight games against Go champion Lisa Dahl. So this is geeky and educational, probably one of the most educational games of all time, the game of Go. Um, and now there is a com- an artificial intelligence computer program that can beat a Go master playing Go. Yeah, and this, I think they had a challenge back in the fall where the computer beat the Go master, but the Go master started with a huge handicap in order for that to happen. Oh, yeah, in order yeah. for that to happen, yeah. 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 So, are now, so this is now heads up. This is now heads up challenges, and that's uh, yeah. This is and this is a know, few months um, from that. You know what I mean? It's less than half right. a year, I think. So, whenever the, the Go computers start programming themselves to play better Go, then we will reach the Go singularity, and humans will never win at Go again. <laughs> Oh, that when I talked about making our children better people than we were, I wasn't going for like the 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 robots taking over the world. <laughs> I mean, it's eventually gonna happen. I mean, that's the ultimate making your children better than you. But <laughs> dad, dad took a massive leap there. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm right on that as far as the date goes. It could have been, you know, a year ago. I don't know, but I, I really think that I remember hearing about that recently whether or not i heard about it when it actually happened or later i mean because sometimes it takes a while before you actually hear the news mm-hmm. so i could i could be i could be mistaken on when that happened but but that's about the time i learned of it but on the fourth game um lee Seedall came back and he whooped the alpha Gall program so it it beat beat him, but the 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 human player was still able to eventually figure out its patterns. Well, we don't know yet. Or just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> got lucky against the computer. <laughs> That's what we don't know yet. We'll have to we'll have to see. See if he's really cracked we'll the code. We'll have to see over a, over a period because it would be possible that an AI could beat a goal master, but then the goal master could eventually kind of reverse engineer his thoughts oh, yeah. and get better. Well, that's the yeah. same thing Just with like any... Learn, learn against the human 
opponent, how they play. Yeah, that's the same thing with any, like, you know, computer chess game is that eventually you just figure out how to trump the computer because it's only got so many paths that it's it's going to take. It definitely yeah. shows, shows you what a complex game Go is, uh-huh. considering how long ago it was that we had a computer AI beat a chess master. That's been... I have, a, I have a strategy. I have a strategy for for beating the chess AIs. If that chess AI looks twenty moves ahead, I just gotta look twenty one. Right. Yeah. That's all you gotta do. <laughs> Eventually, we're gonna do a topic just on chess, and me and Dad are gonna talk about how much we love chess and how much we hate chess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Liz has a Liz has a game, and I say it's a game. It's a solitaire game, and it's it's called solitaire chess, and it's really there just to teach chess moves. Mm-hmm. But the idea, yeah, I think you played this right, Megan. Where there's like a it's like a puzzle. It's really what it is. But you have to use the chess uh-huh. pieces, and you have to make everything capture things in order for things to line up the right way or something like that and it was it was liz's introduction to chess when she was i don't know not been that long ago maybe five years ago that she got it it probably really wasn't her introduction to chess um but it's definitely where she she would sit down and and study the pieces and and do stuff like that it's a it's a really a really cool little it's it's like i said more of a puzzle than a game but um, but I'll, I'll I'll make sure to to link that because if you've got somebody who's interested in learning chess moves, it's a fun way to learn that. Mm-hmm. And and you do all of these puzzles and you'll eventually if you if you do enough of them, you're going to get down what all the the different moves are, um, at least the basic moves. Yeah, I, I definitely toyed around with some of that, and uh, I think. The thing that I enjoyed the most when I was really into chess um, was learning the different checkmates um, and just going through all of those and memorizing as many as I could. Um, super rusty nowadays. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't play it, you definitely lose it. I can watch people who know how to play chess and understand why they're making the moves that they're making, but if I'm playing myself, I'm going to make some dumb moves because I'm just not in that zone anymore and it just stresses me out and I don't ever really want to be back into that zone um but definitely have a love-hate relationship with chess but it is probably the the geekiest game out there um and is an extremely powerful educational tool in a lot of different ways if you like the idea of chess but don't want to get into the whole big chess game uh-huh. there are a lot of chess variants on the market too um that that play lighter but still have some of that same you know head-to-head feeling that chess has mm-hmm. occasionally there's ones that you play that you checkmate the other player and don't even realize it <laughs> until you make the next move and then you're like oh wait we got to go back i won <laughs> that was your that was your game of the duke Duke with liz Liz this weekend weekend. i realized after we had already moved on and scratched our heads for a second i was just like wait i already checkmated (laughs) you we're done (laughs) it was to be fair it was my first time playing it and it has different rules (laughs) it 
It does have different rules. It has a lot of different rules and different moves. Um, it's not traditional chess moves. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely, it's uh, definitely it's, random. There's de- definitely a random element yeah. to it. Um, which <laughs> but, would definitely turn off a lot of chess players for sure, but would, would right, bring in a lot of people right. who would not be into chess otherwise. Getting back into uh, kind of an educational slant, and I don't want to spend too much time on this specifically because I think it warrants its own topic, but just the power of simple role-playing and mm-hmm. the, the creativity that comes from that. Because we've talked about a lot of strategy and things like that, but like if you have a child with a creative brain and they want to do storytelling or they want to try to puzzle their way out of situations in a, in a way that isn't just rolling dice and trying to figure out the stats and the odds of the situation, but trying to really uh, outsmart, you know, the, the enemy that they're facing in the game. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is the way to go. And there is so many ways that you can adapt that to be really specifically educational in the ways that you want it to be. There's also board games that facilitate that, like Once Upon a Time, mm-hmm. which isn't really the same. You're not role-playing, but you're telling a story through cards that you have. Um, I believe Fairy Tale is the same way. I haven't played that one, but I think it's the same sort of idea. It allows this kind of storytelling aspect. Um, it's a, it's kind of a good introductory to, to, to those kind of storytelling games, mm-hmm. pre-role-playing. If you've got somebody who wants to do it, but needs like an introduction. Yeah. Those are those are pretty off. And I know Kier's talked about it a few times before, but uh, Rory's story cubes are just a, a a good, fun, quick way to to have some of those. Like you can just roll the dice and be like, "All right, let's write a story based on these dice," or however you want to do it. Or just tell yeah. the story. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know. And I think a lot of times they're just used verbally. And um, another one that I only recently really started paying attention to that isn't that I've seen used in other ways, it's it's kind of a variant of charades at its core, which is concept, which is a board game where you have a board that has a lot of different little pictures that you use to try to get the other players to guess whatever category you're working from. But I also know that people have used that game in a lot of different creative ways because it's got all of these different pictures and you can kind of just pick out different things and tell a story that way or do different, you know, educational things with that game as well. Yeah. Yeah, That was a game that I was very excited about before I played it (laughs) and I played it and I was very hum ho about it after I played it. I was like, you know, it was okay. I didn't really enjoy it nearly as much as I thought. And everything that we heard after that is pitch the rules don't play teams just let somebody try to do the hardest thing they can do on a card they can look at the card and go okay i think that's the hardest one i can try to uh-huh. try to make everybody guess and just let everybody guess and that way everybody's in the game yeah all the time and it's it's just everybody describes it as an activity yeah and then yeah and i've seen um, it the only place that i've seen it actually played is on tabletop and that's how they did it on tabletop and it looked like it was a lot of fun um and they and, that was and they used the correct measurement of time, which was the shame meter. It's just you just keep going <laughs> until you're so there's so much shame in you that you're just like they're never gonna get it. They're never gonna guess. We just gotta move on. <laughs> last year, last year, um, one of the people in our gaming group brought it to tabletop day, the the game day that's in, that was inspired by by the tabletop TV show, and 
and this was after I had played it. And Devin, my husband, sat down with it and, and some of the people at the gaming event. And he said what they did was somebody would try until they couldn't couldn't get, you know, they just gave up. And then somebody else would step in and they would see new things mm-hmm. that maybe the other person hadn't seen. So it became, you know, once two people had done it, um, they, they gave up on it if somebody couldn't guess it. But they, they let somebody else step in and try to try to see if there was something else that could be done that maybe the first person didn't see. And I guess everybody really enjoyed playing it that way as well. But yeah, it's an interesting. I, I I definitely enjoyed it much better as that kind of big group activity as opposed to a team party game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nearly nearly what I wanted it to be as the team party game, and it's got one of the most eye catching boxes I've ever seen. Oh yeah, and just <laughs> so I mean, it's a way to allow people to be creative, but not just have access to everything. It's a way, I mean, you you have a, a set number of pictures that you can use, and so you're limited in that, so you can't just go anywhere with it. And that that create creativity with limits is its own kind of uh, challenge. Right. It's also a different kind of creativity, too, than, say, drawing mm-hmm. or, like, actual charades where you're creative with your body, which a lot of people are super uncomfortable yeah. with. But, you know, putting cubes and markers on a board with a bunch of pictures allows them to be creative in a way that's that's comfortable. And this is going to be especially true of, of I think, teenagers mm-hmm. when you talk about, like, kids. Um, you know, like, young kids are absolutely fine drawing and, you know, doing charades with their body for the most part. But when they get into that middle school age range and above this is something that still allows them to to kind of play those kinds of games in a very non-physical manner Mm -hmm. you know or non-artistic manner but still feel like they're having that experience it's it's very it's very it's a very similar experience to charades yes i was actually really surprised by that part of it how similar it really is to charades that's definitely another game that just has all kinds of learning Uh possibilities to it yeah and one of the things I really like about it is the cards do go from an easy to a harder to a harder to the hardest. So you could play with kids by just playing on the top one. Even, you know, for the most part, even if you could maybe convey one of the harder things to people as an adult, kids aren't going to know it. A lot of those are really phrases uh-huh. that aren't, aren't going to mean a whole lot to a, an eight-year-old. But the top one is almost always something that can be just like a, understood. Yeah, just like an object, yeah. like an airplane or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I like games that scale like that. Mm-hmm. Another thing and something that's surfaced a lot recently is cooperative games. And I think those are a really great educational experience with your kids because then you get to kind of help them and bounce ideas off of them, but they don't feel like you're trying to help them win because you're trying to win together, you know. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good way to have everybody on an even playing field that way and not have it be a competitive learning experience, have it be a cooperative learning experience. Right. Right. And and in addition to that, not just the and I mean kind of touching on that same thing with the cooperative, one of the things that's almost always true of completely cooperative game. I'm not talking about games that are one against all mm-hmm. or um 
may have a trader mechanism in them or something like that, but true cooperatives like Pandemic or Forbidden Island, um, those kinds of games, um, is open information. Yeah. Um, so games that you don't have to, like, see what normally you wouldn't see to help out your kid, that, you know, there's King of Tokyo, which is a competitive game, but everything is always out in the open. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy those kinds of games for playing with young kids because even if they're not strong readers, you can help them every step of the right way and not even necessarily be helping them win, but help them decipher. Yeah. You can tell them what that card says, what that card means. Well, and it's not you just know, with kids either. Playing. It's like any new players. Those are some of the... Yes. And that's, that's a whole other educational experience because there's a lot of people who are adults who are just getting... Into, into board games or getting back into board games after only playing like Monopoly and the Game of Life when they were 10. Um, it's the idea of, of, of having it to where they don't feel like they they have to like just hold on to things because they don't know how to use them. It's, everything's out in the open so if they don't know how to use it they can just ask and it can be, you know. Right, you're not showing your hand showing because your everybody hand. knows your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm really, I'm really a big fan of of those kinds of open information games for for new gamers, for young gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, like King of Tokyo, we were able to play with my my six year old, our six year old nephew when he, well, he's not six anymore, but at the time he was, and it was his favorite game because it had some of those kind of choices that you would normally only get in a game that has hidden information. Yeah. Like the for special powers and stuff like that are, are normally things plus, that are, are hit. Yeah. Plus it has giant monsters destroying cities. It is. <laughs> it, that helps everything. That's, I so. mean, that's how you appeal yeah, to a six-year-old is right there. <laughs> yeah, and a 27-year-old and a 50-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you. It's one of those games that, that you can put it on the table and, and people will come running. Um, Suro is another game like that. It's kind of amazing. Um, and, and Suro is like a path-building game where you're trying to lay down. Uh-huh. Uh, it's definitely a spatial thinking game. It's an abstract strategy. And you're you're following these little like maze paths, trying not to knock yourself off, trying to knock other people off the board because it's like a last man standing. And it plays a gob of people. I think it plays eight people. And it will bring because everybody's standing. We got a group of eight people standing around a board having a good time. It will bring people from across the room. Yeah. To see what you're doing, um, and and that whole kind of trying to follow that maze and stuff is kind of thinky, especially for for as easy of a game as it is to pick up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really, I mean, it's the simplest of rules. It's one of those games that takes maybe a minute to teach. And plays really quick. But man, everybody has fun with it. And again, it's not open information, but it's definitely something you can help kids with. It doesn't, I don't think it really affects the game if they show you what they have as much as other games do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That is, I mean, because there's so many pieces that will have the same effect. Um, so it's not like I mean, you can definitely look at everybody starts you you have a hand of three and you get to pick which one you want so it's very possible for you to show them go okay is this going to happen the way i think it's going to happen mm-hmm. and, and get with it if you really need that help and if people are you know i think for the most part with new gamers people are willing to help 
you want to start playing games and you find a group and the first thing they do is is uh start trying to uh uh, use your uh, lack of knowledge in the game to their advantage to win. You need to go and find a different group. Because <laughs> that, that is the exception. Most gaming groups are not going to be like that. Don't let that sully yeah. your opinion of gamers. <laughs> like I said, it's the same thing, even with a new game. Like, if I'm playing a game with even somebody who's a gamer that's maybe playing a game with me for the first time, I will help them out with strategy along the way as best I can. Now, that's as best I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying my I'm advice is good, that. but I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out where I can. You know, take it with a grain of salt. If you end up dying because of what and I if, recommend, I apologize. Because <laughs> she knows better than I do. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I think the big thing the big thing to take away from this is. Games are learning tools. Yeah, uh, and and you don't you don't have to. Obviously, we've talked about a di bunch of different ways that you can learn from games, and they're very. I mean, any type of game that we could think of, we throw out there and figure out a way. So, truth is, find find a game that you that you want to play first, and then focus on the strengths of that game, and make sure that that time is time is spent on on thinking about those things about the strategy, about the, about the learning the deeper concepts of the game. And, yeah. And not just leaving it to and the random roll of the dice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, especially at young ages, those random rolls of the dice can really work to the, to the benefit of, of a young child. Mm -hmm. But, um, definitely by the time Liz was four, she was so ready for, for something, you know, something more than that you know at that point once once those colors are down once that counting is down it's no longer fun it's no longer educational mm -hmm. it's it's time to move on and find something you know kind of the next level and for us those that next level was was clue junior which was kind of kind of it was it was very clue like it was who stole the cake i think or oh. which dessert and i can't remember that's what even it was, a worse all... crime than the actual clue <laughs> <laughs> Who stole the cake? What kind of monster would do that? It's, it's been years, but it was all done in pictures, so she didn't have to be able to read like you uh, had to with regular. And there were much less choices, so it was easier to make that 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 um, revelation at the end. To, you know, you didn't have to have as many steps. But you know, once we played that a couple of times, she was ready for Clue. However, she still wasn't really a reader. Like, you know, especially with some of the the names, like the conservatory mm -hmm. and all of that. That was a little much. And even though it's written on the board and all of that, it was still a little much for her as a non-reader. I mean, she was still at that point reading very basic, um, you know, easy read books. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we literally took the cards and scanned them in or photocopied them so she had a little marked sheet with all the cards on it so that she could match up the cards in her hand and not have to try to figure out what word was wrench and what word was you know it, it was just that much easier for her she could look at picture to picture as opposed to word to word mm -hmm. and and so there are ways to even make games that require maybe more work for a younger kid 
but yeah, we moved on to Clue and Sorry and all of that stuff once she got bored with with Candy Wing. Picture uh, Picture Rico was another one that she really enjoyed, um, which was I don't know if it's available anymore, but it was just kind of a mass market look for look uh-huh. for hidden objects a- game, and she loved that game. I had a copy of that game at one point, and I just remember that. Like, when I had some games stacked up, it fell, and, like, the box kind of, like, exploded a little bit, and the cards went everywhere behind a couch, and, like, it took me the longest time to get all those cards recovered. Yeah, there were were a lot of cards. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I'll clean it up after a while, and then I was just like, I'll pick up a few of those cards. You know, I'll reach down every now and again and grab a handful, and I think I got them all, and then somehow the couch shifts a little bit, and there's another pile that falls out from behind the couch. <laughs> I do, I do, I do want to give a plug to two educational type games. I mean, like, are really good. They're they're not, like I said, not published by an educational mm-hmm. publisher. They're published by gaming. Um, at least I, I, one of them is um, the Ten Day series. 10 days in the USA, 10 days in Africa, 10 days in Asia. Uh-huh. Um, and and I think we've talked about it on the store, the show before, but it, it is really amazing. Um, it's an amazing tool for running, learning geography because the younger kid, again, is not at a disadvantage. It's one of those things where you've got the map in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about figuring out how to get from one spot to another spot on that map how what mode of transportation do you have to take so you it's one of those where you learn by playing um and 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 it's really it's it was fun i played it with liz i played 10 days in the usa with liz when she was in i don't know fourth or fifth grade and it was it was pretty fun for me I didn't feel like I had this advantage to her because I was an adult that knew where all of the states were and knew what all the state capitals were and, you know, all of that stuff. It was it was about watching her try to figure that out on the map and, and be able to figure out, okay, well, this is Kentucky here and this is, you know, California here. I can't get to that right now with what's on my board. Um, and, and it's just you learn where those states are because you're having to search them out <laughs> on the on the board and and the same thing with with countries in Africa or and I, I, I haven't actually played 10 days in Africa but I'm assuming that it has I, I really don't know I know all 50 states are on 10 days in the USA so I'm assuming it has all of the countries in Africa it may not but it would probably at least give an idea of of some of them mm-hmm definitely the placement and the area um and and the other one is timeline and there's also card line which we may have talked about before too and and this is one where somebody with some knowledge would have a a little bit of an upper hand but i think you're still learning as you play Mm -hmm. because you're like oh my god i mean even as an adult there are times that i'll put something there and i'll be like i was certain that happened much earlier in the timeline or much later in the timeline than it did and um this just soaks up that information and remembers it. Um, and, and we've talked about this with education. I'm not very date-centric with her history. We talk about kind of the time period about events. And, you know, I mean, she knows that Civil War happened before World War One and after Revolutionary War. She may not 
She'll probably even be able to tell you that it happened in the mid-1800s. She probably would not be able to tell you the exact years mm -hmm. that the Civil War happened in. But she'll sit down and play that game, and she'll remember a lot of those numbers um, better than me. <laughs> Again. <laughs> so, so she is kind of at least learning in that generalization of this happened before this and after this sort of thing. Yeah. Even if she doesn't remember the exact date, she'll go, oh, well, I know that this happened after, you know, I know that the typewriter came after gunpowder. I mean, obviously those came many, many years apart, but that's what came to my, that's what came to my head. But she'll remember that correlation, if nothing else. Timeline is one, is going to be one that I suggested if you didn't, but I figured, I figured you would, but it's definitely one of those that I think you do. We talked about, like, trivia games and things like that where you might remember one or two random facts that you didn't know before. But I feel like Timeline, you actually really learn playing that game. Whereas... Yeah. Because there's that whole shock of, why did that not happen where I really thought uh -huh. that happened? Because you, you have that pre-existing kind of idea of when things happen. And then when you actually lay it down and realize... Uh, then it's you're like, oh, I thought it was earlier than that or whatever. Sorry. Even if you're still technically right where you place it, because sometimes there's very large gaps in the timeline where you're placing. So you might still be right. You'd be like, oh, I was still a century off from where I thought it was going to be. I just managed to be okay where I was placing it. Um, yeah, I think it, it has more of an aha moment. Uh -huh. I tr answer to a trivia question a lot of times, if that makes sense. I tell you though, there's definitely been times where I've just scratched my head and been like, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. It's another one of those that's really, I mean, really easy to teach, really easy to pull out and play in a very short amount of time. It's a, you know, you basically are placing things in in an era, I mean, in a timeline, and that goal is to get rid of the cards in front of you. If you miss something, then, you know, you basically have to draw a new card. And you don't get rid of a card that turn. Mm -hmm. um, or you get rid of a card, but you're getting a new one. So you're still at the same amount of cards where if somebody who gets it right drops down one card. So um, it's, it's a very simple concept on how to play it. And the other thing that's really nice is you can start with one box and have a very limited supply. But when you get bored with that and you really know everything, you can add another box to it. And I think there's at this point six or seven different... Um, versions of it that you can put all together and play just I mean where you're dealing with all kinds of different like there's arts and cinema mm -hmm. and music and discoveries and inventions and you know historical events I mean just all sorts of different things and we own two or three of them um, and I would I would really like to have them all just for I mean I think you could play more people with a larger amount too yeah um, and really just get this huge timeline going, which I think would be fascinating. We may have put Dad to so, sleep. I'm wondering. Oh. <laughs> All I can say is it's a good thing Kier wasn't in this episode. Because we were thinking, okay, let's just try to get through this pretty quick. And now it's like an hour later. I told you you would have to shut me up. <laughs> I made that comment. You got... I have one, one thing to I, add. I Wrap it up. Make it big. In on a joke. <laughs> yeah, this is really big. Um, that uh, artwork that Sarah said was so good, that game artwork that Sarah said was so good, mm -hmm. it was outside of the box. 
I don't get it. <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> I love that. I know that Dad is just laughing at his own jokes so hard right now, but his laugh is so muted that none of the listeners will hear him. <laughs> but he's just like, <laughs> I'm so clever. <laughs> So, on that note, educational games are good. Even games that you want to consider to be educational, still good and still educational. Go play games. We like games. You should play games. We're going to take a break and come back in a moment. Thanks for enjoying the Related to Geeks podcast. Download podcast MB3s at our website, relatedgeeks.com, or listen on our YouTube channel or our Tumblr. Check out our show notes for links and credits. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We're going to do our picks of the week real quick. I'm going to go ahead and start this off. And I'm just going to say that since I've been researching and looking at at different sources for uh, information for building a PC, I have discovered the YouTuber Cult of Mush. And uh, his videos are really educational. They're really well thought out. He, he thinks of a lot of different budgets and a lot of different pros and cons to different budget PCs and really emphasizes the idea that it's not always the best to spend more money. You may get a faster PC, but if you're not going to use that speed, then there's no real reason to spend that extra money. And so he, he does a lot of that, and he, he does a lot of different things on tiers, and it's been very educational for me watching those different videos and seeing kind of the sweet spot for me as a gamer. Um, and I know through looking at some of the comments that there's a lot of people that just enjoy his videos that even if they're not researching on how to build a PC at that moment, they just enjoy watching his PC builds and he's, he's concise but thorough and uh, you know, there's a lot of comments along the lines of, I already have a gaming PC, I'm good to go. Why have I just watched 10 of your videos on how to build a gaming PC? Um, so definitely, definitely a good quality YouTuber there that I just discovered today. So that is my pick of the week. How do you feel about that? We should probably be watching those too, because I know that my husband would really like to build a gaming uh-huh. PC. He's a good one. I mean, I'm sure there's many, many others that are just as good or better or what, you know, depending on your preference. But he's one that, I mean, once I watched one of his videos, each of his videos, I feel like is a good length of like five to ten minutes or you know where you get a lot of good information and he explains his decisions well but you don't feel like he's long-winded or it's you're watching a 40-minute video to tell you information that you didn't really need to know he just cuts to the chase and really you know hits the the high and low notes in a way that um make you feel like you're getting a lot of information but you're not investing way too much time to get it definitely a niche YouTuber. Yes, <laughs> definitely a niche YouTuber. 
but he's got he's got I about not, I have not seen he's got about a hundred and fifty thousand subscribers ish, and uh, he uh, I mean there's a lot of people that just watch his videos whether they're particularly particularly um, in the mode to build a PC at that moment or not they just he just does a lot of smart research and really keeps up with the stuff like every month he's doing like here's your best deals on graphic cards and here's some different price scales like he'll go from around 100 to 150 and he'll jump up a little bit incremental there to uh, the next graphic card which is slightly more powerful but slightly more expensive and he'll kind of talk about the different pros and cons of those situations so I think that's the biggest thing that that made me realize that he was he was really taking a, a budget into account because he was talking about you know you could go and build a thousand dollar pc and it would be great but if you're going to play a game that you could play just as well on a six hundred dollar pc why are you spending the extra four hundred dollars um so that 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 uh, made me warm up to him a lot because he he really he really thought out that side of thing and wasn't just going for let's go for the biggest most powerful machine we can let's make a three thousand dollar machine with you know, 64 gigabytes of RAM, because you need that right now. I mean, it was, you know, here's a, here's a realistic PC build. Let's, let's talk about that for a while, so. Yeah, Cult of Mush. I'll leave it in the show notes, or Dad will leave it in the show notes after I email him the link, but I enjoy him. Dad. Cool. Awesome. Sarah started the last two times, so okay. we're going to leave her for last. My pick of the week is Harbor Freight. <laughs> We're all familiar with Harbor Freight. They have the tool catalogs. Okay. Um, uh, I've. This is why I wanted to do carpentry. Anyway, um, I started construction on my uh, rehearsal space, aka storage room, and uh, I didn't find my line level, which is a little tiny piece of plastic level that you hang in the middle of a string, um, and you see if your stakes. You know, you move your string up and down to get things level. It's important for carpentry work. <laughs> um, and so I checked out, and I could get them on, you know, $3 here and $4 there and $5 there. But at Harbor Freight, they were $1.29. So I went to Harbor Freight, and like all good Harbor Freight customers, I bought that and a bunch of other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> because besides... Besides uh, starting this construction project, I'm taking musical instrument repair, and he's got us making a list of tools that you would need in a musical instrument repair shop. And most of those tools that, you know, a lot of the tools I already have, but most of them are tools that are smaller than what I normally use. And so um, I've started a toolbox that I'm calling my small tool. And it's really designed around what you need to do musical instrument repair. And so I went and I bought, you know, these six pliers for, you know, these eight pliers for $7 and these screwdriver set for $5, things like that. And I got me a Vernier caliper, which I've never owned a Vernier caliper, but I've used them a lot, you know, for measuring inside and outside diameter and stuff like that. Um, so, my dollar twenty-nine level line level ended up costing me just a little bit over thirty dollars. <laughs> time I got home, <laughs> so that's they're, the Harbor Freight way. Yeah, they're also really good for for organizational items. Um, yeah, they have really a, they cheap. have a lot of that. 
they have a lot of big stuff, you know, motors and and presses and drill presses and stuff, you know. But uh, but they also have a, a very low cost Chinese hand tools that are about the same quality as all the other t Chinese hand tools, you know. Their their tools are really tools. They don't just look like tools in the picture, you know. They're not the best tools you will ever buy. But they really are tools that will do a job. Our theory is if it's not something you're going to be using on a really regular basis, buy it at Harbor Freight. If it's something that you're going to be using really regularly or needs to have kind of the power of, say, a circular saw or something, maybe don't buy it at Harbor Freight. But... Look at reviews. That's, people will review the heck out of Harbor Freight tools. And some are yeah. just better than others, too. Yeah. Their hand tools are, are uh, uh, tend to be better than their power tools. Yeah. And we have a lot of their hand tools. But uh, I bought, um, because I had to move the cars for the construction project, I bought an air compressor there. Um, and I got the little tiny, cheap, Oilless air compressor cost about sixty bucks, and you carry it in one hand and all that, and it aired up all my tires fine. So, you know, I was thinking maybe I'd get something that was more, but why? Then it'd just be heavier to carry, or more, take more room to store, you know. And this little sixty-dollar air compressor is doing what I need. So, that's the advantage of Harbor Freight. Just like computers, you could spend more, <laughs> but if you don't really need more. <laughs> Don't really need more. Go to Harper Freight. <laughs> so, Sarah, what's your pick of the week? <laughs> I'm going to go with a board game called Fuse. Ooh, I, I got that it. Game. <laughs> I got it um, a couple of weeks ago and um, have played the heck out of it. This is very rare for me, for me to pick up a game. Um, usually I'll play it once or twice and and bring it to a game day and maybe play it there. Uh, the first week we had it, I think I played it every night in some variation or another. Um, but basically, it's a cooperative game, which we've talked about. I like cooperative games. And everybody starts with two cards in front of them that are that are bomb cards. The idea is they all have some sort of placement on them that you have to have certain colors or certain numbers of dice that you place on them and then there's a bag full of different colored dice that are just six-sided dice and the person whose turn it is pulls out the same amount of dice as the number of players rolls the dice um, everybody talks about what ones they can use everybody can take only one die and put it on one of their two cards if there's any that just can't be taken by anybody or somebody needs something more than the other person because they're trying to finish off a, a really hard bomb to get rid of it because the idea is you're diffusing you're diffusing bombs and if that happens and that person has to to roll the die and and if you have that color or that number die on the card in front of you you, you lose that but um it's just a, it's a 10-minute real-time, frantic, <laughs> try to get rid of all the bomb cards. There's levels of difficulties going from, like, that, the train, trainer, trainee one is the lower amount of cards. And then, you know, there's, there's more, it goes to more expert 
modes. I'm apparently using the wrong word. It's not trainee. But <laughs> there's easy cards <laughs> and there's hard that. cards. And there's cards yeah. in the middle. That's all you gotta know for sure. Um, I, I have played this a couple of times. Um, Training. I have, Training. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've played uh, Sarah's copy a couple of times because Sarah's played it so many times that twice she has played with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the thing, it's so frantic because you're just, you're trying to, to go as fast as possible because it is, you have 10 minutes to try to get through as many of these cards as possible. Um, but the thing about the different difficulties that always gets me is that when you clear a card, you just reach in the middle and grab another card. But you do this so quickly that sometimes you don't really think about which card you're grabbing. And the difficulties go from like you need two dice on your card and they're fairly easy, you know, dice to come across as far as what the number or the color of the die needs to be. And then you have like situations where not only do you have to have up to like six dice and there's more specific things that you need but you have to stack them and if you tip over your stack then you you know, like lose the dice and all of this different stuff and it's one of those types of games that inevitably at some point in the game you're going to realize that you've gotten the two hardest cards that you could have possibly gotten in front of you and there's just you just can't do anything with any of the dice that are being rolled. Every turn. <laughs> and you're just every every step forward makes you feel like you're taking a step back and it's just there's just uh, uh, yeah. it's it's such a weird little game that makes you feel like oh yeah, we're doing great. Oh gosh, we're doing terrible. Oh no, we're doing good. Oh no, we are awful. Um and it all happens within like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's one to four players, and that's the other thing I wanted to say about it is it is actually a really decent solo mm -hmm. game. I enjoy playing it solo. Um, the the one I, I I enjoy the least is two player because you have to place two dice instead of. I mean, it's just uh, you've got four. I think four card. I can't remember exactly how it worked, but it's harder in a way to do two player than three player or one player and um so there's more dice per player and more cards per player is that what you're saying i know it's still two cards per player but you're having to place okay. two dice so that's that's what it is and that's harder uh, than having to place mm -hmm. one dice on two cards <laughs> so i mean it just is and so you're feeling like it's that much more crazy yeah. because you're, you're looking at the same amount of dice trying to figure out how you could possibly play both of those on your cards when sometimes it's hard to place one on your cards yeah. so and it's also allowing yeah. you especially in the stacking scenarios to think ahead a little bit which when you're only dealing with one die you want it so i could see that variant being its own challenge i could also see me really responding well to that variant because of that um so I would, i mean i almost want to try that at some point but i like that it has all of those different options in it um because typically speaking yeah and the cards are very different the way that they play because sometimes you're looking for just colors that don't match the one beside it sometimes you're looking for a specific color and specific number to go in one spot but then anything can go in the other mm -hmm. spots um and then there's like the ones that she was talking about where that megan was talking about where you have two different stacks and they're very very specific on what dies there's also like math problems in them like there's one that is question mark plus question mark plus question mark equal yeah. 15 
So you have to have three different dice that add up to 15. So you're having to do simple math in your head as you as you do this as well. Because anytime you start playing stuff that doesn't work, that you can't make work, you automatically lose all the dice on that card mm-hmm. and have to start over. So like that, that you know, three numbers that add up to 15, you can't play two low numbers. Yeah, if you there's, play a there's one definitely and a two, some thinking no ahead gonna... on that that I, I noticed when it first... You think when, yeah. I, when it first played down, I was like, oh, I can play anything on that. It's all just whatever. And then I start thinking, no, because if I play a, if I play a well, one, one, I'm kind of messed up That's already. Because um, the, the other two dice can only add up yeah. to 12, which is only going to give you three. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that little. Yeah, it's a it's a think. Kind of take the time to try to think about what you really need on a card before the dice are rolled, and, and try is, to make sure you it know is that. It is the perfect it, time management game because you want to you <laughs> yeah. want to take the time you want to take the moment to make sure you're getting the best die you can, but you don't wanna you don't wanna delay those rolls any any longer than you have to. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you want to you want to yeah you want to make the best decision, but you also want to do it quickly, <laughs> and it's it's tough. It's tough, but and I mean we've that the the to win you have to get all, rid of all the cards in the center. You can still have cards in front of you, but as you're grabbing the cards from the center. Oh, and there's also those um the fuse cards, or cards in the middle of your stack that either have a color on them or a number on them. As you draw those, whoever draws them has to yell. If you've got a red die, you have to get rid of it, or if you have the number four, you have to get rid of it. So there's that in addition to even if you played a perfect game and everybody could always place a die. There's six instances going through that pile that you're going to have to to stop and, and look at your board and try to decide if if you've got a die you can get rid of and if you've got multiples which one you're going to get rid of so so you're going to lose dice sometime during yeah. the game. There's definitely a whole lot of quick thinking that needs to happen and um, going back <laughs> into that uh, this number plus this number plus this number equals fifteen. This has been episode 15 of the Related to Geeks podcast, and we're going to wrap it up because we are long-winded. It's all get out. So uh, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Hopefully Kira will be better and able to sit up properly and not be all back-broken-y. But anyway, we wish him well, and uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Good night. Like, I mean, I could just, I could see him laughing in my head. I couldn't quite <laughs> hear him, but I knew he was just so proud of himself and really just. Oh, goodness. So, just so pleased with himself. Okay, I'm going to eat a Sour Patch Kid, and then we're going to do this. <laughs>